the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This is, by the way, the first time that Judas speaks in the Gospels. And the first thing out of this guy's mouth is, you know, this money could have been put to better use. You know, there are poor people in the world, okay? And, and some people will use that argument. Look, in a minute here, Jesus is going to remind us that there will always be the poor in the world. And we should have a moral obligation to help the poor. But, you, you, you know, you don't stop living because of those in the world who might be less fortunate. You help them. Do you have eyes that see and a compassionate heart for those less fortunate? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you the truth that there will always be those less fortunate within this time on earth. But you don't stop living your life because of it. You figure out a way to help them. Pastor Gary encourages you to use whatever resources you have to help those who are in more compromised positions. Use the gifts and abilities that the Lord has given to you and extend those to others. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John's Gospel chapter 12. As we look here into chapter 12, uh, and perhaps if time permits, uh, a little bit of chapter 13, if there was one word that I would use to describe 12 and and 13, and you know, I mean, you could say this about any part of the Bible, I suppose, but uh, one word in particular that stood out to me as we look into chapter 12 here tonight is the word humility. The word humility, because we see here at the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus gets anointed at Bethany by Mary. And her act of anointing him with this very expensive perfume is a real expression of her love towards him and and is a real humble gesture. So we see humility here with Mary. And then the next section in the chapter 12, your Bibles might be subtitled as mine is, the triumphal entry. This is now what we call traditionally Palm Sunday. And Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem here riding on a donkey. So it's another picture of humility here as our Lord comes to lay down his life for the sins of the world. He will, by the way, return on a white horse. So he he comes initially meek and mild, but he's going to come as a judge and victorious on on a white horse when he comes to rule and to reign. But here in this chapter, very humble gesture as he comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And then into chapter 13, we have a scene here which only John records among the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I mean, you, you can't get much more humble than that, you know, washing people's feet. And that's, 
that's a picture here of humility as well. So that theme kind of stands out to me as we look here now into chapter 12 and into chapter 13, if time permits. Again, on the heels of chapter 11 from last week, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we now see here in the opening scene of chapter 12 that Jesus is having dinner with him and with his family members, uh, his sisters Martha and Mary. Now, I will tell you as we begin chapter 12 here that Matthew's gospel in chapter 26 and Mark's gospel in chapter 14 are specific about the location of this dinner, and John doesn't mention it, but when, you know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And when you look in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, what it tells us is that the location for this dinner here is the home of Simon the leper. Now, He is called Simon the leper, but obviously it would be completely unlikely that they're having dinner with a guy who has leprosy. So he is known as Simon the leper, but he very well may have been someone that Jesus healed of his leprosy. Because there's just no way that, you know, a guy with leprosy would be throwing a dinner party, okay? Nobody would come to his house, trust me on that. Nobody would come to their house. I mean, you, you don't want to go to somebody's house if they have the common cold, right? If they invite you for dinner and they're hacking and coughing on the phone, you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a rain check on that. So if somebody has leprosy, you're sure not going to go to their house. So the idea here is that this guy was probably healed by Jesus, Simon the leper. Now, church tradition, and I emphasize that as church tradition, We don't have this as as biblical proof. Church tradition says that Simon the leper was the father of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So this being his house, we, we do see here that those three, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, are present here, so it all makes sense that perhaps this is the home of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their father. They're there having dinner. There's other unnamed guests here. And and here Jesus is among them. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, uh, it sets the time for us, six days before the Passover. By the way, this is the last Passover that Jesus is going to share with his disciples. This is the third of three. And it's interesting because the first 11 chapters of John are very quick. Uh, because the first 11 chapters covers three years. But now it slows down uh, exceedingly so, because in chapter 12, through the end of the book here, the last 10 chapters uh, ha- have to do with a week. So first, first 11 chapters cover three years, last 10 chapters cover one week. And even more so, it slows down into chapter 13. Chapters 13 to 19 cover 36 hours. So it's really slowing down here at this point because we're heading into the final week of the life of of Jesus on his way to the cross and then his uh, resurrection following. But but there's six days before the Passover, verse 1 says, And Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, that, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? If you, if you were invited to a dinner party and somebody was there who had been raised from the dead, I mean, that guy certainly has bragging rights at this dinner party. You know, nobody's going to one-up that. And can you imagine the dinner conversation here? Maybe somebody hadn't heard. You know, maybe they were just, you know, out of town and they come into the dinner party that they're invited to. And they're like, hey... Hey, how was your day, Moisha? What did you do today? I harvested some olives and tended some sheep. Kind of same old, same old. What about you, Lazarus? 
eh, rose from the dead today. What? Yeah, I was dead for the last four days. I rose from the dead. It was incredible. Jesus called me out, and out I came. Pretty amazing. So, you know, this, this guy has uh, bragging rights at this dinner party, but here, here he is, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, re- reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, remember, in, in these ancient days, the typical way you'd eat a meal would be to lean on your uh, um, left elbow, eat with your right hand, and you would all be reclining around a table. So a table would kind of be central. It was low like a coffee table, lower than a coffee table. And you'd all be reclining on your elbow and feet extended outwards, kind of like, you know, spokes on a wheel. So here, everybody's reclining at a table, and here they are eating. And Martha, it says, the sister of Lazarus, served. And, and, you know, we see Martha as the one who's always, you know, working, serving, help. Remember, there's a scene back in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is also there at their house, Mary and Martha. And it says that Martha was busy, you know, going around the house, doing everything. And it says that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha got upset. And she's like, Jesus, tell my sister to get up and start helping around the house. I mean, there's dishes to be done. There's laundry, all kind of stuff. And she's just sitting here at your feet. And Jesus kind of calms her down. And he says, Martha, Martha. You have need of many things. You know, you're worried, you're frustrated, you're frazzled. But Mary has found the more important thing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's worshiping. You see a frazzled Mary in Luke chapter 10, uh, rather Martha in Luke chapter 10. You don't see a frazzled Martha here in, in John chapter 12 because she, she now is at a better place. She's at a place of, you know, she still is that servant-hearted person who's, you know, doing the work here, but she's not frazzled. She's just serving Dinner's being served. Lazarus is among those reclining at the table. And verse 3 now speaks here of this very humble act on the part of Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Verse 3 says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. If you have a King James Bible, it says spike nard. An expensive perfume. And a little bit later, it's going to tell us that the, it was worth a year's wage. Now think about what you make in a year. You don't need to tell anybody, it's nobody else's business, but think about what you make in a year, and think about if you were to buy a bottle of perfume that was the equivalent of your annual salary. That's what's happening here. It's very expensive here. And it says that she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's a very beautiful scene here. Now, spikenard, or... NIV here says pure nard. Uh, Josephus, the historian Josephus and um, Pliny say that nard was derived from a plant, a flowering plant that was indigenous to the northern part of India that grew just at the base of the Himalaya mountains. And so it was imported. Uh, It took great effort to extract the oil from this flowering plant and so that's why it was so expensive because, you know, it took a great abundance of these flowering plants that you had to make into this oil, this ointment. They were usually in very expensive alabaster jars or uh, little long-necked uh, little bottles. The only way that you could use it was to break it and consider now you got a, you got a year's worth of expensive perfume and you're pouring it here on Jesus' feet. That's what is happening here. She, her expression of humility here is very costly. It's very, very unself-conscious. You know, she doesn't really 
care that anybody's noticing what she's doing. It's also something here, and we might miss this in our culture, but the fact that she wipes his feet with her hair, a woman in those days would, would never let her hair down, not at a dinner party for sure. She would only do that in, in the discreet privacy of her home because it was considered to be not proper. But she doesn't, she doesn't care. She doesn't have a towel nearby, so she just is going to undo her hair and start wiping his, his feet, wiping the perfume, uh, his feet with her hair. And it says that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mark down in the margin of your Bible, there's 2 Corinthians 2. And I'm going to turn and read it. If you want to, you can as well, or just write the reference down and read it later. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16, because there's this interesting parallel Paul writes about here in 2 Corinthians about the fragrance. You know, as you read the story here in John 12 about the fragrance filling the house, this, the expression of Mary's love and humility and devotion to her Savior, you know, in the same way that that fragrance filled the house, Paul makes this parallel about how we should spread a sweet aroma of Christ too. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. So there's this picture here that Paul says, you know what, we in Christ should be spreading the fragrance, the aroma of who he is everywhere we go as well. And to those who are perishing, you know, this is the smell of death. To those who are responding, it is the smell of life. But regardless, we should be spreading everywhere the fragrance of Christ. So here is this scene back here in John 12. So Mary's worshiping him in this way. The fragrance is filling the whole house. And, and this expression of her love and her devotion, her humility. Well, verse 4, you know, there's, there's always somebody in the crowd. And here's this guy. This, this guy happens to be Judas. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Okay, now, this is, by the way, the first time that Judas speaks in the Gospels. And the first thing out of this guy's mouth is, you know, that this money could have been put to better use. You know, there are poor people in the world, okay? And, and some people will use that argument. Look, in a minute here, Jesus is going to remind us that there will always be the poor in the world. And we should have a moral obligation to help the poor. But, you, you, you know, you don't stop living because of those in the world who might be less fortunate. You help them. You know, but you don't, you know, it, it, can, it can sound super spiritual. And I, I run into this sometimes. People can sound really super spiritual. Like, you know, we shouldn't be spending money on this. We shouldn't be spending money on that, you know, because we could give this to money to this and this money to that. But yet the very same people who say that, you know, sometimes I want to go, well, you know, do you have cable TV? I mean, do you have a cell phone? Because if, if you want everybody else to live by the rules, at what point do you, do you live by the rules? Where, you know, you should probably get rid of your cable TV and your cell phone and everything else and stop driving a car and walk to work if you really are that concerned. But the idea is you don't stop living because of the poor. You help the poor in addition to continuing living your life as God has enabled you. And so what we're going to find out is the root of Judas's issue here is not that he's concerned about the poor anyway. 
That's just a smokescreen. The real issue is the guy's a thief. Because it tells us that he keeps the money bag and that he's helping himself to the money bag. There was, there was a money bag that was, it was like a common collection for Jesus and his ministry to support his ministry. And, you know, there, there were times when Jesus needed a $65 million jet to go wherever he wanted. Wait a minute, that's a different guy. Uh, and, but there's a time that there was a money bag and that people would give to support the ministry of Jesus. But, and, and Judas was the one holding the money bag. And notice, notice what it says here. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. It says, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. If a year's wage, a typical year's salary was going to be put in the money bag, he's thinking, cha-ching, you know, because it would help him out if he would you know, draw money from the money bag every once in a while. By the way, the word thief there in the verse is the Greek word kleptes. This is where we get our English word kleptomaniac. So he's a kleptes, he's a kleptomaniac, and he's stealing out of the money bag, and that's his heart, that's his issue here. But look at what Jesus says, verse 7, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He's saying, you know, Mary here seems to understand something that his own disciples did not that she had insight here, that he was actually going to be dying soon. And she, in a sense, is anointing his body, preparing it for burial even before he dies. So she has some some special insight here as to what is about to happen with Jesus such that she is willing to part with a whole year's wage of perfume to anoint his body as an expression of her love and devotion to him, wiping his feet with her hair. This was costly, this was a sweet aroma, the sweet fragrance. By the way, Purinard uh, was red. So there's great symbolism in this too. The red, the blood, the picture of the blood. And so here she is worshiping Jesus in this way, having great insight as to his imminent death, his burial. And Jesus stands up for her, like, leave, leave her alone. This is, it was intended that she should do this. For the day of my burial. Well, meanwhile, verse, verse 9, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I bet so. You know, wouldn't you like to go see the guy that got raised from the dead? Well, verse 10 says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. We got to kill the, the dead guy. Wait. He's alive now. Well, we got to kill him again. You know, yeah, because he's, he's, now, he's now the living example of the miracle of Jesus, which testifies to Messiah's power to raise the dead. And so the chief priests who don't believe in Jesus want to kill Lazarus now as well, because the whole thing is pointing people to Jesus. Uh, they were, and, and they wanted to kill him because the Jews, many were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Well, the next day now, verse 12, great, the great crowd that had come for the feast, this is Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. So this is that scene that we commonly call Palm Sunday, that we celebrate the Sunday before uh, Easter, 
Uh, so named because they're using palm branches here. Uh, the palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism since the revolt of the Maccabeans and, and in the history of Israel. And so this is a kind of a patriotic rally. They, again, aren't quite understanding Jesus' uh, true role that he came to fulfill. They, they see him for the moment as a political savior, not as a, an eternal savior. They, they kind of have a restricted view of Messiah, that he's going to come here and overthrow the Roman government and, and so save Israel in that way. That was their view of a messianic leader. Even today, listen, you know, as I've talked to some Jewish people in Israel, what is your idea of Messiah? Uh, there's, a, there's a guy that owns a great shop in the old city of Jerusalem, and I take all of our groups there. There are two twin, twin uh, Orthodox Jewish brothers who own the place. One guy, guy's name is Moshe, the other guy's name is Dove. And I love Moshe and Dove. We go in all the time. We, we, uh, you know, they're very cordial. They love Christians, um, but they don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. And I've asked them, what is your view of Messiah? What will he look like? And their answer is the same as what we're reading here. He will be a political deliverer. They see him as one who will come to liberate the Jewish people, but as a political world hero, not as one as we understand Messiah to be, as Jesus reveals himself in the pages of Scripture, the one who came to seek and to save that that which was lost and to die for the sins of the whole world. And so for the moment, the Jewish people here in this triumphal entry, here, here comes Jesus on what we call Palm Sunday. You know, they, they didn't call it that way. But, you know, they're honoring him. They're quoting from Psalm uh, 118 here, Hosanna, which means save. They're hailing Jesus as king and Messiah, but their view of him is that he is king of Israel. That's what they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You see, but... The very fact that a few short days later, they will be crying, the same crowd will be crying, crucify him, shows that they just did not completely understand his ultimate purpose. Because they're excited for him now, but when he gets on the cross and he looks like he's, he looks like the appearances that he is our defeated king, not our conquering king, that, see, they're quick to turn on him. So they don't have the, the complete view of, of what Jesus' mission was. And for the time being, they're hailing him king, they're worshiping him, they're quoting Psalm 118, but they have a very restrictive view of what Messiah really is. Verse 14 says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt, and that is that is quoted right out of Zechariah 9, 9. So John tells us, look, this is a fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah prophesied 500 years before Christ. That's, that's being fulfilled here. And John says, you know, this is Jesus coming on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, meek and mild. This is all a fulfillment of what Zechariah the prophet would, said would be part of how you recognize Messiah. Verse 16 says that at first, even his own disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, you know, when he, when he was crucified and rose from the dead, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
you know, the Pharisees who don't believe in him, who don't accept him and don't want other people to acknowledge him. They're like all discouraged. You're like, this is getting us nowhere. You know, we're not able to do anything to stop this guy's popularity. Look, the whole world is going after him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it be great for us to be able to say, look, the whole world is going after him because he even still has come to seek and to save that which is lost and may the whole world go after Jesus. So, you know, praise God that that is happening. The Pharisees um, were jealous over his popularity and didn't accept him and just wanted to see him dead. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know